Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe, I'm your host. We're here for another unexciting episode. I'm joined as usual by Koo Cahill. You can find him on Twitter at Koo Cahill NBA. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Um, we are joined today by yet another special guest. We are joined by Ben Pfeiffer. You can find him on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. That's one more underscore after Pfeiffer. Uh, he, you can find him a lot of different places. Um, on, from his Twitter bio, 8 points, 9 seconds, Pacers Film Room, uh, the Bird Rights, Clutch Points app, all sorts of stuff. And uh, he put out a tweet on Twitter where he said that if anyone wanted to have him on a podcast to talk about Summer League stuff, he watched a bunch. And so Ku hit him up and asked him if he wanted to come on here and we're going to talk about some Summer League stuff and whatever else happens to come up. How are you doing today, Ben? Hello, guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So we'll hop right into it pretty much. Um, the main guy that most people want to talk about coming out of the Summer League for the Pistons has got to be Bruce Brown. Um, there, It was mostly good, not all good, but he was mostly pretty impressive. Uh, I'm just – so I guess this is actually a really useful thing to have you on for because you're not a Pistons fan. And we're really, really particularly fond of Bruce Brown and Pistons fandom because we need something to grasp onto. So as a non-Pistons fan, as someone who doesn't, you know, have any bias or any horse in this race, what did you think of the way that Bruce Brown played in this summer league? Totally, totally incredible. I thought Clark summer league MVP, I would have given it to Bruce Brown. I thought he was that, that good. And I think a lot of other people thought that way. And the main thing with Bruce Brown for me was his passing a sizable step forward from anything I had seen before. I obviously didn't watch the Pistons as extensively as you guys did, but I don't think his passing was like this. He didn't really get a chance to showcase it. And last summer league, he passed a little bit, but not like this. And she definitely just like he did in summer league. And his passing was really, really incredible. Well, I mean, passing this past season, he showed flashes of it. Obviously, like you said, he didn't have the ball in his hands a great deal. Uh, it was mostly in the hands of other guys. But when he did, he particularly, he basically, he showed an ability to make the basic passes this past season. Um, he was pretty good at giving dump-offs to bigs when he drew the extra guy. He usually made, he occasionally made some really nice skip passes. But yeah, like you said, um, nothing like what he showed here. I mean, he was just nailing pretty much every single pass in the book, really. Yeah, it was really, really good. I remember against the season he had a really really nice pass where he he drove he drove right and he drew I think three defenders and skipped it out to the wing from the baseline and I think he must have done that five or six times over the course of summer league where he he would blow by guys draw defenders and sometimes at ridiculously hilarious angles he would get a pass out to the corner or out to the shooter or pass for an extra shot and he was great like you said hitting dump offs hitting pick and roll passes I like, I like his craft in the pick-and-roll quite a bit. He showed some good stuff, uh, snaking the pick-and-rolls to put bigs, to put pressure on bigs and find and find the roll man when he pressures the big and takes away his focus. He, is, he pocket-passed quite a little bit. He hit the roll man over top. He had a really nice pass where he kind of turboed into two defenders and wrapped it behind his head around through, I think it was Matt Costello for a dunk. And overall, his passing was really, really good. And... I think it's because he's so athletically dominant in summer league. He, I mean, he's an, a crazy good athlete just in general. 
but for summer league, he's an uber uber elite athlete with his first step, his strength, his his body his body control, everything he's got. So these summer league defenders, they they can't keep it from the rim. So he got to the rim at will in summer league, and even if he's not finishing there as much as he should be, he draws so much attention as a passer that his passing lanes widen and. When those passing lanes were widened, he found them. His, his passing was just really, really good overall, I think. And then, because you brought it up, that's sort of the second thing with Bruce, is you brought up that he didn't finish at the hoop as well as you would like him to. And it was an issue last season, and even in Summer League, I think his true shooting percentage was only like 49%, 50%. So, even yeah, though was he was very impressive, he was really great as a passer, um, the scoring efficiency still struggled. When you look at him, I'm we, me and Koo have talked about this a bunch, but once again, we're, I'm really interested to hear an outsider's perspective on this because we've got rose-colored glasses with that. So I'm curious, what do you think about the fact that, you know, even though he is such a great athlete, he's got a legitimately awesome first step, even by NBA standards, right? But mm-hmm. he just, and Absolutely. this was something last season too, where you'd think that for a guy who's as athletic as he is, as big and strong as he is, uh, he would be better finishing at least inside. And even in Summer League, he wasn't that great at it. I'm just curious, what do you think about that? Do you think that's something that he can remedy fairly easily? What do you see with that? Yeah, starting off, you, you can make it this as you will, but my point still stands about Bruce being maybe the most impressive Summer League player, and his true shooting percent was 49.6. So make of that how you will. It's really not good, and he, just has, he has no touch around the rim. And he has really little ability to create shots for himself at this point. His, his drives, his charges really to the rim. They're just rip. It's layup or bust. He doesn't have a floater game, any really intermediate mid-range pull-up game. He, he just, he's not really crafty putting defenders in jail and hitting floaters at this point. So when he can't get all the way to the rim, he struggles to open up his scoring game. And, and that, that hurts his passing in turn because... He has less gravity to make plays off of. And even though he was able to get to the rim and get quite a few decent looks, he just doesn't really have the touch to finish at the rim. We've seen that throughout his career. We've seen it from beyond the arc with his shooting struggles. And it's really frustrating with Bruce because if he could just shoot threes at some decent level, he'd be such a valuable role player for the Pistons. Uh, But he just can't. And... He's got a lot of work to do on that scoring touch around the rim. Even if he never gets it, I think he can be good, but it's definitely not looking the best for his shooting projection. But on the bright side there, teaching spot threes is not rocket science. We've seen so many players take three-point shooting, being total non-shooters for earlier in their career. So it's definitely hope for Bruce, but... Right now, especially showing struggling with that in summer league, it's not a great sign. Well, I've told this story about Bruce's shooting before, but obviously he shot really poorly in summer league again. But when he was playing in Grand Rapids, because I cover the drive games here uh, for the G League team, but um, when he was playing down here, uh, even in warm-ups, you know, when you watch a lot of guys in warm-ups and it's like, man, they're really good shooters, even guys who are not necessarily that good shooters. When Bruce Brown was warming up, it was like, yeah, even when there's no one guarding him, he's not a very good shooter, you know. He misses a lot of shots. So that <laughs> kind of made me think, yeah, this guy really has a ton of work to do on his sh- – you know, it's that's just how it is. There's lots of NBA players that they can hit threes in an open gym, but they can't do it in a game. Bruce even struggles when it's an open gym. So I would say that um, 
I think if I could actually pick between him sort of realizing his potential as maybe becoming a really elite finisher or becoming a league average three-point shooter, I'd be tempted to take him as that really high-level finisher because I think that would fully unlock him as a sort of ball handler, whereas you make him a league average three-point shooter and now he's a nice 3 and D player, but I think that his ceiling is higher if he learns to be a better finisher. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Because, well, I mean, at least becoming an average finisher with his athletic tools, I mean, he screams rim volume and pressure on the rim. And putting pressure on the rim is so important in the league because, well, shots on the rim are the most valuable shots. They draw, they force help with the windows for skip passes, which Bruce Brown is so great at, which forces de- defenses to scramble, opening, opening shots, just... Getting to the rim makes everything better, and if you can really score at the rim and make defenses worry about you there, that's that's really scary. And with Bruce's first step and with his strength, he should athletically have no problem getting shots at the rim whenever he wants. But finishing them is a different story. But and if he could, I agree that would be more valuable than just an average set three. Obviously, if he if he would be more than the average three-point shooter with maybe some shot versatility off movement or uh, pull-ups, then I'd probably take shooting because it's just spacing is so important in the modern NBA. But, yeah, if he could become either of those, it would be really, really big for his game. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've been doing all the talking here. You want to get something in here? Yeah, I'll just let him... Cool, I think your mic just cut out, bro. Yeah. Yeah. His mic comes unplugged sometimes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Can go you ahead. Hear me? You can hear me. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Uh, but summer league just just earlier, I was uh, pretty bored. I just looked up some you know some old Stanley Johnson highlights, and if a lot of listeners know, a lot of uh, Pistons fans know that follow my work. I'm a I was a major. I'm still a major Stanley fan. So I was just watching some of his old highlights just to, like, you know, there's nothing to do in the offseason. It gets pretty boring. So basically what I'm getting to is in the summer league, you know, watching Stanley, he would just dominate the summer league. But, you know, that's not something you can translate to the NBA. He wasn't able to do that competition. He's stronger than others in the summer league. So, you know, of course he dominates. With Bruce Brown this offseason, do you think that that's something, like what we saw from him with his passing ability and his ability to get to the rim, find open, uh, find open shooters, find dump-offs, do you think that's something that we can see translate to the NBA, or is that just one of those things where he's just better than everybody at Summer League, so that's something he should be able to do there? Well, with his passing all-starter, I, I see, yeah, I think it's, his passing is totally real. But you make a great point about Summer League translation, because there's lots of... It's obviously Summer League, and it would be foolish to make really final judgments based on Summer League for really any player, but... It's also foolish to not take anything away from Summer League, but you just have to know what to look for. And you're talking about Stanley Johnson, guys who are just bigger and stronger and more athletic than everyone. That usually is a sign of problems in areas like skill or feel for the game or IQ. And that's where you want to really want to look at things, look at what players are doing. And guys who have high feel for the game in Summer League don't lose it when they go to the NBA. It, it's still there. But it's a question of can you make the most out of your feel for the game in an NBA setting. And with Bruce Brown's athleticism, yeah, he absolutely should be able to. Should be is the key word. Then it's really all about just that scoring gravity for Bruce Brown because 
if he could just get a little bit of scoring gravity to pressure defenses in a different way with the ball in his hands, he can be such an advantage player for the Pistons who really lack guys with tons of scoring gravity, which is really what they need. And if Bruce Brown could add that to his passing game, that would be really big. But I think it's definitely, we shouldn't, although Bruce Brown in this summer league is a classic case of, okay, he's way too good to be playing here. I don't think we should dismiss it as he's just too good to be playing here. There's definitely real tangible benefits that we can see here. Okay. And, uh, you know, just like Joe mentioned earlier, uh, one of the reasons why when I saw your tweet, I really wanted to get you on here because, you know, we have a bunch of guests on here as of late, but all of them are like Piston guys. We've had the Piston beat riders we've had. I don't know if you know uh, Duncan Smith. We've had just a bunch of – yeah. we Yeah. (laughs) We just had a bunch of Piston guys on here. So to get someone outside the Piston community and their opinions on everything will, like, give us, like, a better outlook on what to expect and, you know, change our opinions a little bit. But going to – looking into the Piston season – how do you think that, uh, with what you know, how, how, what do you think that Bruce could, like, how how Bruce's passing could affect the Pistons? Like, how can he come into the season and help the Pistons? Do you think it's something that can help him this year? Or do you see that being, like, something that he could do this year? Or is that something that you think, you know, we got Blake, we got Reggie Jackson, two pretty high-usage rate players. He's probably just going to be that defensive guy like last year. I mean, you'd hope that he finds ways to make – to make use of his passing, at least as an off-ball guy. I mean, he started for a playoff team last year, so he, so he's good at basketball. Like, he's a good player. So you, you'd expect him to make strides there, and I think there's definitely avenues to utilize him as a passer off the ball. I mean, off of cuts, off of cuts, you can definitely find open guys because he, he's going to have a lot of gravity cutting with his athleticism and his speed and his strength. That's one way. Also, off of catch and shoot this is just the other thing with his shooting really because if he can force defenses to run him off the line then him with the head of steam going downhill and attacking closeouts guys are going to have to rotate to Bruce Brown and Bruce Brown can find digs for dump offs kick out to the wing or throw skip passes all over the floor like he's summer league but definitely don't expect his passing to be as great as it is right now in summer league because he's not going to be playing on ball nearly as much or if at all. But actually, I I do think he makes kind of a nice fit as a three and D point guard next to Luke Kennard, who I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of his scoring and his pull up shooting, but he definitely has his issues with defense and and, and some of those problems. I think uh, Brown's defense really meshes well and his passing really meshes well to open a uh, off-ball shooting craft, and he's really crafty in the paint with his, his floaters and his footworks and his pump fakes. He's really great with all that. I think if Bruce Brown can prove that he's a uh, which really all it would take was shooting development. I, I say all it would take because it's not exactly simple or easy, but it, it could happen, and I think that's a pretty intriguing long-term backcourt pairing if we're looking at some future development, because Bruce Brown's already a legitimately incredibly good defender. He was fourth in the fourth in the league among shooting guards last year in defensive player impact plus minus as a rookie. That's that's really good. Unfortunately, he was one of the worst offensive players in the league for that same yeah. metric. So yeah. he's got a ways to go. But I really like the long term future with that with that backcourt and with Bruce Brown as a situational initiator, something like that, or if not, just an off ball defensive specialist. Um. Well- Real quick, Joe, let me just ask this real quick. 
Um, you you brought it up a little bit. I was going to ask you this: Dwayne Casey heading into the season last year in the uh, Bruce Brown rookie season, uh, he was asked this question, and he said that he sees point guard in Bruce Brown's future. And you brought it up right there, kind of with the pairing of Luke Kennard in the backcourt. Do you think that uh, from watching Bruce, do you believe that? point guard is in his future and that's where he's going to succeed the best sometime down the road or do you think that he would just be one of those um you kind of brought up like a secondary creator in the offense or third third creator in the offense well right now he's not a point guard and he could probably initiate bench units at time against uh weaker defenders and weaker athletes and such where he can use his athletic tools to get to the rim and to create advantage situations but i no, i definitely don't think he's a point guard right now at this moment. I mean, he was one of the worst offensive players in the league last year, and to be a, a competent starting point guard, at least at this point, he needs to get better there. But definitely don't think it's out of the cards for him to do that in the future. I think it's a, a real reasonable expectation to have for him in a couple years, or maybe even sooner if he can accelerate his development. But right now he's not a point guard. He's best as an off-ball combo secondary initiator type guy, like you said. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Um, I just want to say that you brought it up a little earlier, but the, one of the things that's always impressed me about Bruce is that despite him being this phenomenal athlete who when the Pistons drafted him, he was billed as this really raw player, which he is still fairly raw, um, his feeling for the game is really great. And that was something that stood out almost right away, even last year in the Summer League, that you know he, know, he really is a guy who he's got really good instincts and feel, even on offense. I mean, you brought up his cutting earlier. And even last season, he was a really effective cutter. Um, he didn't always finish that well at the hoop off of his cuts, which sort of submarined him a little bit. But he knew when to cut. He knew where to cut. He was very good as a cutter. He just needs to improve as a finisher there, too. Uh, so I just I just wanted to tack that onto that, really. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I don't know, anyone else got anything more to say about Bruce? Otherwise, we can move on to other guys. Well, we can talk about his defense. We didn't do... I mean, that's probably a given on this podcast, but... Hey, go for it. Tell, tell us what really, you think about Bruce Brown's defense. We've talked about ad nauseum, but you go right ahead. I mean, I mean I'll keep it short because there's not really too much to say. He's just really, really good on defense. I mean, he's he's strong as an ox. He's really quick. He, he His hips are crazy fluid and his feet are quick, so he just destroys ball screens like they're not there. I mean, I mean he, he makes light work of of screens in his way and that makes him such such an effective on-ball defender with his strength and his lateral quickness and his length and he blocks more jump shots than so many guards he blocks a lot of jumpers which is something not a lot of guards let alone players in general do and that's a really important thing from I think his his defensive awareness team defender is not the best at least in summer league it wasn't the best he's He's not bad there. He's not clueless, and he knows what to do, but he's not necessarily a playmaker off the ball like you'd maybe like to see him with his with his tools. But generally, we like to correlate uh, passing, passing feel, and team defense, and that's definitely a positive reason to believe that his playmaking on defense, his steals and blocks, all those things will go up in the future, and that's my quick thing on his defense. Yeah. No, that's, that's something... That's something that I noticed, like, immediately. Joe told me, like Joe said, he covered the Grand Rap team, and uh, he told me right off the bat that, you know, coming into the season, he didn't know that Bruce was this much of a freak athlete. And even in the Pistons season, like, it was it, – watching Bruce play defense was probably some of the funnest points of the Pistons season. 
because not only would he like not only is he so explosive like you said he blocks so many jump shots and so many like there'd be some times that i think like a guy gets a step on him and then he just explodes and blocks their runner or blocks their fadeaway and just sends it out of bounds and one of the funnest things about it is that every time he does it anytime he gets a tip or anything it, the mic would always pick up some give me that shit or something <laughs> like that he says it was like some of the funnest part watching the pistons this year he's his explosion, like jumping, is insane. He's, his explosiveness is crazy. He reaches the the apex of his jumps almost comically fast. Um, the 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 game where it stood out the most was early in the season when the Pistons were playing against the Nets, and he was guarding D'Angelo Russell, and D'Angelo Russell sort of went left, and then D'Angelo Russell pulled up to take a floater, not just a jump shot, a floater, and Bruce Brown just went up and blocked it, which. It's hard to block floaters. Like, the entire point of a floater is that it's hard to block. And he just got it. You could just tell D'Angelo Russell's like, what the heck? That's not supposed to be able to happen. And, uh, yeah, it really it really stood out. Um, you mentioned his hips. That's something that really stood out to me right away in Summer League last year. Is that, you know, he moves his hips well. And he's also a guy who, on the defensive end, you know, I coaches always say, you know, you want to sit down when you're playing defense. He is a dude oh, he that sits all he the way down. sits all the way down. Like he's just technically, he's a really, really impressive defender. And I mm-hmm. Koo brought it up earlier, but we said it right early in the season is that because after last year's draft, um, we kind of figured that Kyrie Thomas would be the guy who's more likely to play last season, and Bruce would take a while. And the main thing that I think a lot of people miss is that no one appreciated that Bruce Brown is a legitimately just an absolute freak of an athlete. Um, I'm not yeah. sure how exactly that got missed. I don't know if I'm just stupid, or I'd like to think that some other people didn't catch on to it too, but that was a thing which, if I had known how much of a freak athlete he was, I would have I would have actually kind of figured he would have a good shot to play. But, yeah, we love we love Bruce Brown's defense around here, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, we don't like to, I mean, I feel like the word, like, freak, when terms comes to athletes, gets thrown around too, too often. Like, there's a lot of great athletes, but, yeah, Bruce Brown is legitimately a freak. Like he's he's crazy. He's he's insane. And it's not just his run jump athleticism, which is really great. But there, are, I mean, it's not like he's not like Jalen McHugh, I and mean, that's kind of a, a random one. But he's not Jalen McHugh in that in that manner. But like his, his strength, his his body control, his balance, the way he's technically sound defending, like you said, the way he, he the way he's fluid moving laterally and moving backwards, all that stuff adds up as for his athletic overall athletic profile, and it's really just really fantastic and it makes it makes him an nba player uh, a good one okay so before we move on from bruce just to clear it up at the end you are high on bruce brown overall as a player yeah i'd say i'd say so okay relatively what do you think would be bruce's realistic it's like not you know the far off what do you think is his most realistic ceiling as a player realistic ceiling as a player yeah I think if he, well, if he learns, I think the most likely outcome for the future is if he learns to shoot, then he's like an uber valuable, like off ball combo guard type role player that's constantly undervalued by consistent by uh, like consensus mainstream valuation. But he's a guy who's always going to outperform his contract value and always going to be really really solid. Maybe if he becomes a little more dynamic off the dribble and gets like a pull up or something or a floater game, I don't really see, I don't think that's super realistic to think. But if if he did, then uh, oh boy, he'd be he'd be something. But just some likely, I don't 
maybe yeah some sort of really really valuable off ball two way combo with some uh, hopefully some some uh, like part time initiator chops, but we probably need more scoring gravity or improved rim finishing things like that to really see that come to fruition. Okay, so you would probably be able to say then. Bruce's realistic ceiling could be like sixth or fifth guy on a really good team. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, anything else you want to add on to Bruce Koo before we move on yeah. to someone else? Um, actually, I just have a quick question like about this. Um, like you, like like we've already mentioned, Ben is not a Pistons guy, For just to give that reminder, everybody. he's he, We're getting some outside opinion here. So just want to throw out there real quick, but if – Heading to this season, um, I'm not sure if you know uh, if you've watched or, or know enough currently. I know you do a lot of research in off season and you do a lot of stuff throughout the off season. So I don't know if you've like, I don't know how you got you all you guys go about this or if you've hit the Pistons yet or not. I don't know. I know Jackson. I don't know if you know Jackson. I'm pretty sure you know who Jackson. Is. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I see that Jackson's kind of getting around to Pistons, it, like some of his Pistons research. No, I assuming. think he's writing about Luke Kennard. That's why because yeah. He, when he writes about someone, he just posts a bunch of clips in the timeline. And yeah, so yeah, <laughs> I've noticed. A cool experience with Jackson, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah. So basically, my question is: you mentioned how he was a starter on a playoff team last year, which I think a lot of people don't really give him enough credit for, because a lot of the time last year throughout the season, we had a bunch of Pistons fans and a bunch of people who you know followed the Pistons. I mean, Joe mentioned a lot that had a terrible wing rotation for any team trying to win. And we and it, was, it really was that terrible. But you giving him credit for being a starting a starting uh starting two guard for a playoff team. I think not a lot enough people give him credit for. But heading into this season, do you think that uh do you think that Bruce Brown, if he's starting instead of Luke Kennard, that's a bad thing, or do you that's uh telling to Bruce Brown's fit and uh, improvement as a player? Basically, would you start Luke Kennard if you were the Pistons, or do you think that Bruce is like a legitimate starting two because of his defense? It's for sure Luke Kennard, I think, at this point. I mean, I mean, not not just that. I think Luke Kennard is for sure a better player than than Bruce Brown at this point. Um, I mean, he's as of now, he's a dreadful offensive NBA player, and of course, that could improve with with time and the hope is it does. But right now, I think you have to go with Kennard, who's art, who's of creator and that's like what the Pistons need. They they have no perimeter creation at, at all. Blake Griffin's like their their only real pull up there, and that's kind of hilarious. But even if Blake Griffin is awesome, but Luke Kennard, and I think yeah, he's gonna start and he should start. I know Joe's gonna want to say something about that, so Joe, go no, ahead. No, me and you have talked plenty about that. I'm glad to get his opinion on Baku. We've talked about that plenty. And we will continue to. We've got like another two months to fill before the season starts. So we'll yeah, we're gonna be scrapping time. the bottom of the yeah, barrel. Exactly. We'll we'll probably have talked about that about eight more times before the season starts. So I'm not worried about getting my thoughts in there. Um, so then right, the ahead. next guy, sort of in line for the Pistons, uh, is Svi Mikhailuk. So we'll just sort of start it the same way. Just sort of what were your general thoughts on the way that Svi played and what you th- saw in him? Svi had a really good summer league, and I was pretty pleasantly surprised. Bruce Brown, his passing was pretty, pretty good. Good as Bruce Brown. He still has some decision-making issues with just settling for really long threes and into nowhere. And with some of his passes, he can kind of predetermine his reads, especially when he's driving and trying to kick out. But he'd, he'd drive and try to 
shooter and there wouldn't be a shooter there or there'd be a defender there. And that's not really a thing you saw Bruce Bruce do for comparison. But I think overall his passing was surprisingly good with his on-ball, his live dribble creation. He pocket-passed, he skipped-passed, he had some really nice, gets some really nice pick-and-roll reads. And his self-creation was pretty good overall. I thought he, he he did a nice job getting to the rim despite he's a fine athlete. He's not a great athlete or anything. He's probably pretty near neutral, but for summer league his athletic abilities are not as big his athletic deficiencies, should I say, are not as big of a deal because the threshold for athleticism is lower. So he was able to get to the rim, finish a little bit, create his own shot. His handle's pretty good. With he had some nice he had some really nice step backs to create his own shot to behind the backs to get to the lane and Overall, I think he really he really uh, succeeds in a place like summer league, where with lesser talented competition because of his versatile skill set as a player. And I guess quickly summing up his defense, it's pretty good. It, it was all right. I mean, he struggles with his with his measurements, his, his short arms, his lack of real strength, uh, vertical explosion as a point of attack defender. He gets blown by more than you'd like, and he's not great against screens. But he really does try hard, and off the ball, he's pretty smart. They've got pretty decent instincts as a help defender rotating and things like that. So, overall, I'd say it was a positive summer league for Svi. So, you think Svi had a nice defensive summer league? I'd say it was above average. Yeah. I think so. Hey, I'm glad somebody thinks that. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I kind of... Hmm. And this also was influenced some by when I saw him playing Grand Rapids a couple times last year. I'm legitimately kind of on the fence about whether or not he's ever going to become competent enough on defense to be able to survive on an NBA floor. Like, clearly the guy can shoot, right? I'm very clear. I mean, you know, I told that story about Bruce Brown not being able to shoot. I'm not sure I've ever seen someone warm up look as impressive as Svima Kailuk. This dude, (laughs) he hit like five threes in a row, and... A coach tossed him a second ball too early. He just caught it with his left hand, and they just shot it with that, and then he hit that too. <laughs> like, the guy is as impressive a shooter as they come, but I legitimately am not sure that he's ever going to be able to hold up at all on defense on an NBA floor. So do you, did, do you think that there's hope for him on that end, that he could maybe – obviously he'll never be a plus defender, but could he at least be good enough to where you can survive with him to get his shooting on the floor? Maybe I I'd be I'd be pessimistic of that, and I think I get the impression that you are as well. Because I mean, it's just really tough with his with his measurements and his lack lack of overall athletic tools. And even if he is smart enough to make rotations and get in positions to help um, in the paint, he often just doesn't have the physicality to do much about it when guys get in his way. And I think he was his defense was overall pretty smart in summer league. And he's going to have to be really great positioning himself and making plays off the ball to really have a chance. And I think it's, his defense is similar to the rest of his game. He looks a lot better against competition that's not as athletically dominant or just as good as him because of his overall skill set. And I think like this, is, this isn't going to sound great, but I think he could be a great like EuroLeague player at one point because of that. But even if he... That is, if he never, if he never finds his way onto an NBA floor consistently... Uh, Defense, it's going to be rough for him. I would be pessimistic about him ever getting to, like, even slightly above neutral on defense. Okay, so let me put it to you like this, okay? There's a decent number of Pistons fans 
who are hoping that he is the team's basically their backup small forward this season. What would you say to that idea? That this season he's going to be playing like 18 minutes a game at the small forward for a team that's Uh, trying to win basketball games. uh, It's likely problematic for me at least. So, I mean, defense, like I said, it's going to be a struggle with him, especially especially at this point in his career. I think he has some hope. Maybe if he gets like really, if his team defense just really continues to improve, that he could like approach neutral at some point. But right, right now he's going to be bad. It's pretty clear to me. Offensively, he's going to really, really have to shoot the lights out if he wants to successfully like start. I guess at backup, not start. If he wants to play backup small forward minutes, and or he's really going to have to shoot the crap out of the ball and. He can do that. I know he didn't shoot the best in summer league, and if I'm if I recall correctly, his three point percentage wasn't the best in his rookie year either. But he he showed in college that he can really shoot off the dribble. He can shoot from range. He can shoot off of movement. That's where he has to be so so good. Because well, it's under that because spot shooters, one way shooters who all they do is shoot, they're really easy to find, and people uh, fans tend to overvalue shooting from what I've seen, and undervalue things like decision-making and passing and secondary handling. And it's questionable if Mikhail Luke has enough to do all of that at a semi-competent level. Because he can definitely pass a little bit. He showed that he can create a little bit. He can create off the bounce some in Summer League, but be good enough to be able to create off the bounce in the NBA? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. And if I had to guess, I would lean on no. Well, his, his overall athletic tools and stuff. Well, um, you know, that's something that as someone who's watched uh, too many G League games, um, you made a really good point that so he's a guy who uh, would probably make a really good EuroLeague player. Where And there's, a, there's all sorts of guys like this that you see in the G League regularly where, you know, they've got all of the moves, they're highly, highly skilled, and so when you put them at a lower level, they look just absolutely phenomenal. You know, they look like superstars. But then they just can't do it against NBA competition. I, an example for the Pistons of this was Darren Hilliard. When Darren Hilliard played for Grand Rapids, he literally looked like James Harden. Ex- I'm not kidding. Like, I, I think in the, like, he didn't play a ton of games at Grand Rapids. He only played, like, seven games his rookie season, but... Um, I think he averaged like 34 points and 8 assists per game and super efficient. Like, he just looked phenomenal. But on an NBA floor, he just didn't have the athleticism to do any of it. And it's sort of, you know, it's it's one of the ironies of the way that a really high level of a sport can be where it's better for a lot of guys, it's typically better to be really elite at one or two things so that you can actually do that on an NBA floor. It's like that's one of the reasons why, now you probably don't know about this, I guess, but um, I rode hard for Todd Withers all season last year because he played with Grand Rapids. I said if there's one guy on the roster that I think is going to make an NBA roster at some point, I think it'd be Todd Withers. And I still will hold on to that, and he looked good for the Pistons in Summer League. And that's not because he looked like the best player while playing for the drive. That's because he looked like the guy who the things he was doing on a G League floor I think he could do on an NBA floor too. And that's the worry with Svi then is, you know, he, he has all kinds of offensive skill, all kinds of offensive talent. But can he 
be able to do those things on an NBA floor? That's really the question going forward for him, I suppose. A great point you make about like versatility and guys working working at lower levels and not. And it's something we I try to look at draft prospects too, because often the master of none type prospects early enough to be NBA players because they don't have enough overall talent or elite skills to making contribution on an NBA floor. And I think unfortunately, unless he becomes like your shooter, that seems that seems like it's the path for Svee at this point. Because without without like really plus plus decision making or handling or passing, like he can do all of those things at like a reasonable level. But I wouldn't say any of them are good NBA player level, and that's what you need to get on a floor and to be confident. The, the hope is if he does shoot really well, then maybe he hits 40% on high volume. That's obviously a high bar, but I think it's possible. It's a re- it's a possible outcome for him based on what we've seen in college. And maybe he he can have some some success attacking closeouts and and adding value in that way, but. With you with about the point of him just not having skills, translatable NBA skills is key to on a good team. Okay, um, Koo, do you have anything you want to get in on here? Yeah, I was just talking, but my mic was muted. My phone. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, so basically, from what I heard, you're very. Would it be your high? You question whether he'll be he'll ever be a rotational NBA. I would call myself a skeptic. Okay. Because basically, Joe, we've talked about separately in a group and on Twitter. We've had, this is this is one of my major issues. Let me just say this. I don't know if Ben will be able to comment on this, but I have to say this. This is one of my ma- major issues with when we get into arg- I get into arguments with you or I get into arguments with Sham or anybody else on Pistons Twitter about oh we need to hold on to these assets we need to hold on to our young players because that's all we got once when Blake when Blake's contract expires we'll have them and they need to develop blah 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 I don't really understand the I, I this is exactly what Ben said is why I'm very I, I don't know how how on board I am with that because I don't know if V and along with Kyrie Thomas, if there ever be rotational NBA players. So if like, like, like when we discussed the let's just for example, Joe, when we discussed the Westbrook trade, and I mentioned giving up what was it, Kyrie Thomas and V or one of them, and Sham just lost his mind. This is this is what I this is what I mean. This is why I like I'm not on board with that whole keeping your okay. assets because I, I highly doubt that either of them will ever become anything worth using for the Pistons. Okay, here's the thing, Koo. Okay, you didn't suggest just giving up one. No, or two don't. Okay, Sham got angry at you because you suggested that you'd be okay with giving up like multiple first round picks, which has ended up being true. what it took. And in that case, I actually would agree with him that I wouldn't want to give up multiple first round picks. Okay, I would almost guarantee if you went into the group chat and you asked Sham right now, Sham, would you have traded Svi Mikhailuk to try and get Russell Westbrook? He probably been like. Probably. Uh, I'll go right now. He might not because he hates that contract. But, um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) look, there is a certain truth to that, though, Koo, that um, people definitely, fans, have a strong tendency to overvalue young assets. 
Um, we all like to believe that they're all going to reach their total potential, whereas the reality is that a lot of them end up being Stanley Johnson and Thon Maker, you know? Chill out, chill Where out. A lot of them just, that's just how they end up being, and they never are going to reach that potential. Um, we like to believe that they're all going to be guys who they're going to get as good as they possibly could, but a lot of them won't. And, you know, Savi's a good example of that. Like, yeah, there's a, you can see a really useful NBA player in his outline, right? You can see the possibility of him being this sort of just elite knockdown shooter. And even though he'd never be a great defender, he's got the requisite size that he can be at least a semi-competent one. And so you could see a world in which Svi Mikhailik becomes a really useful NBA player. But the reality is he maybe tops out as like a very end of rotation guy that plays occasionally. And that's not always the most pleasant thing to think about when you're a fan, but it's also the realistic way to think about it, I think. So, yeah. I think, like, expectations just... Like we talked about before, at some point, about fans overvaluing assets. I also overvalue, like, the asset ceiling in general. I, I think, like, if Svi Mikhailuk is, is a, like, a competent 10th man, then probably be fine with that. I mean, teams need those guys to play to, to play heavy minutes like in January and February when all your stars are resting mid-season and guys to come in when injuries hit and regular rotation player but if he can do that then I think that's perfectly fine for the Pistons and I don't, I don't think they should be mad with that yeah. cool you got anything else to add on to speed before we move on to Kyrie no uh, not really okay so then the last main guy that we want to talk about here is Kyrie Thomas. Um, so same deal, just sort of what did you see in Kyrie Thomas? I probably focused the least on Kyrie Thomas out of these three guys, so I'm not going to have as much to say as V or or Bruce, but I thought it was a pretty it – was, it was a fairly good summer league for Kyrie Thomas, and I think he has some similar things to speed. He, he looks really good with his shooting and his defense things like that and that's kind of my worry with him as a prospect is that he's kind of like a 3 and D who's not good enough to be a 3 and D he's definitely going to shoot the ball and he's going to be a pretty confident one way def- defender he's pretty good overall there but does he have enough handling passing skills to really get as a 3 and D player and I'm, I'm not sure he is because in summer league, like uh, there were definitely some struggles with the handle, getting by guys, and creating separation for himself. And passing was all right. When some bad decision making, there were some flashes, but overall, it wasn't the best. And it wasn't the type of a summer league for me for Thomas. Outside of his first game against Croatia, was pretty good, but outside of that, it wasn't too much. Less, definitely less than. And less than, uh... Yeah, I mean, one thing is that, so you brought up his handle and such. i just like to reiterate that because I'm not sure where this started, but somehow a lot of people have it in their heads that Kyrie Thomas is a point guard, and he's not a point guard. He didn't play point he's guard in college. Guard. Um, he played actually quite a bit in Grand Rapids last season, and never once did they use him in... It's so like when when Bruce Brown came and played in Grand Rapids, they basically had him play point guard. When Svima Kyluk came and played in Grand Rapids, they had him do a ton of ball handling. Kyrie Thomas, when he was in Grand Rapids, they used him almost exclusively off the ball. He's not a point guard. They're not trying to make him a point guard 
or anything like that. And like you said, it kind of showed in the summer league. He his handle is a little bit loose. Um, he doesn't always make the best passes. Uh, he's much better off the ball than he is on the ball. Although he made he you know he it's not like he's totally incompetent. He made at least a couple of decent plays. There's one in particular. He broke someone's ankles if I remember correctly. But um, he's just he's not a ball handler. And I think that there's definitely truth to what you said where, you know, he sort of projects as a 3 and D guy, but is he going to actually be good enough to be that? Because the biggest uh, issue for him is that, so he's what, 6'2", 6'3"? Yeah, probably 6'3 in shoes. Yeah, and like we just said, he is not a point guard. He needs to play next to it. Now, hypothetically, if the Pistons wanted to, you could maybe get away with him as the nominal point guard if Blake is on the floor. Uh, like, if you put him on the floor with Blake and Luke Kennard, those two can probably take up enough ball handling that he's a nominal point guard. But other than a situation like that, you really need to have a point guard on the floor with him, which means he has to defend shooting guards, which means that he's going to be a little undersized. So, yeah, I don't know. Just is getting, is getting bigger and bigger as it is, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to be small and be valuable. And being being six three and not not being super skilled like Kyrie Thomas is, that's it's going to be really difficult to find a role. He's going to have to do like a super souped up point shooter to defend really really well. Which he's definitely a good defender. I I think he's a, a pretty good point guard defender. I'm not too sold in his ability to defend up because of that size and he's strong, but he's not. In, like in, he's not super strong. He's, he's not Bruce Brown. He's gonna really, really elite point guard defender and really good spot three point shooter. Like how valuable is that if you're sacrificing size and playmaking and decision making and shot creation and team defense, all those things, just to get another shooter and defender off on the floor? And that's kind of a trap I think NBA teams can even fall into. Such a high value in shooting and floor spacing is really important. Don't get me wrong. Teams need to space the floor in the modern NBA. But if you're sacrificing floor spacing, you're up into trouble and kind of seems to be where Kyrie Thomas is at this point. Lack of like you said, with his lack of advanced point guard skills for his size or lack of really great decision making. So Kyrie Thomas, he's Kind of like the, I think he'd definitely be a good yearly guy. For all size and physicality, size for a point guard, but physicality, strength, his his shooting, but it's not not great in my opinion for Kyrie. Cool. Yeah. You got anything you want to add on to Kyrie? Nope. Okay. Um, and that's kind of all the main stuff we wanted to talk about. We've been going for like forty. We just crossed forty-seven minutes mark. So, um, what what's that, Cool? I have some. I, I have a question. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Um, uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't prep you on. Uh, I know you asked for like, um, like what we were going to talk about on this podcast. I didn't mention. Uh, I didn't mention Seiku, but I thought just in case you do. do yeah, you know anything I, I about figured. Seiku? I saw this coming. Yeah, I I do because I, okay, mean, I so, go ahead. cover the draft pretty extensively. So, uh, I just want to get so, your overall thoughts on him. Kind of get of Siku as just like a super raw upside gamble but I mean definitely with, with the Pistons I'm not sure how much I like that fit 
need things. They need perimeter creation, and they need yeah, they need that more than really anything. And they need wing defense. And Siku's Siku's not going to give you either of those for a while at least. I mean, with his he he's a really good athlete. He's six eight. He's fluid. He's not really explosive. He's fluid. He's he moves really well on the court. There's some flashes of some self-creation, but overall it's not really bankable, and I think he's going to shoot he, his uh, his absolute moon ball release where he basically hits the ceiling on all of his shots, but I think he's going to be a good shooter overall. On defense, he's just a really raw decision maker off the ball. He gets lost a lot. He's got some impressive tools, and he can make pretty good plays and help defense down sides, but He's got a long way to go. Probably not a terrible gamble, but you just gotta you kind of gotta know that he's not gonna be a guy who's contributing until his second contract at least. Conservative. I think maybe there's a chance he comes on really strong and he improves his shooting and his defense a lot and becomes like an Alfaruk Aminu type, which is probably what the outcome I'd say for Siku on the high-ish end. So. Say, so, uh, Dwayne Casey said, and uh, I believe it was like the second game in. They had him on like the broadcast, and they asked him about say. Dwayne Casey said he's going to pretty much said he's going to play right out the gate. He's going to be in the rotation, and that he Dwayne Casey pretty much made the case that he believes in his defense and that he's going to be able to defend. What do you think? What do you make of those kind of statements? I'll be a little skeptical. He struggled in uh, LMB Pro in France on defense, and especially off, like, like I mentioned before, off the ball. His decision making there is really, really rough, and his awareness is developing. I mean, he's he's really young. He's he was the youngest player in in the draft. He's not in, until third or November twenty third or something like that. He's really, really young. So it's it's understandable that he's a rough team defender and a rough. Because he's 18. That's how most 18-year-olds are. So I don't think it's a reasonable expectation to expect him to come in right away and be super positive on defense. He'll have his moments switching, getting some highlight blocks, and he'll inspire hope in fans. Like, wow, this guy is the next switchable Siakam-type defender when it's not yet. I would be skeptical of him being really great on defense or even good or neutral at this point. Joe, you have anything to say? Uh, we've talked about Seiku quite a bit. You're clearly, Ben, you're clearly not as high on him as a lot of Pistons people are. Um, but, you know, that's another reason why it's useful to have you on here because I think a lot of Pistons people want him to be, you know, they sort of, I mean, it's just the way fans go, right? We all want these guys to reach their absolute ceiling. So they see him as, you know, the really good athlete who's really raw and really young. So he could become all this. And then um, I, the fact that you just said, yeah, on the higher side, Al Farouk Aminu type, that's going to that's gonna let a lot of air out of a lot of Pistons fans with you saying that, to be honest. Somebody who is pretty high on Al Farouk Aminu, so you can take that. Okay, okay. <laughs> That'll make us feel a little bit better. But, I mean, I think that is one thing that is worth remembering is that a lot of people are so excited about they've already dubbed that, you know, a knockout home run pick. But the other, what, he, the Pistons picked 15th, right? So 
The other 14 teams are not total bozos. Like, the Pistons had him... For them. Yeah. The Pistons are. had him fifth overall on their board, but, like, they might be wrong. It may well be that he tops out as you hope he's as good as El Farouk Aminu. Which, I mean, you know, nothing wrong with that. El Farouk Aminu is a good player, but that's not what a lot of people are thinking he's going to be. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up. I mean, I, I think it's something to talk about. One thing I want to play the notoriously weak draft. If you're getting Al Farouk Aminu at pick 15, that's pretty, pretty, pretty dang good. I just, let me just say that to make Pistons fans feel a little better. I think the fans do the thing a lot where they see a player who is who's like, oh, he's he's really young. He, he could be anything. And while it's really important not to give up, you should guys shown what like it's it, it's like the classic Kevin Knox situation. Like. Kevin Knox was the worst player in the league last year, and yet he's only 19. And it's I don't think it's fair to say that be like, oh yeah, just because he's 19, he's gonna lose all of his things to make him terrible. Not that you shouldn't fall into with Siku. I, I admonish fans of that. There's gonna be growing pains, especially if he expects to play early. But and that's the, a later career guy if he ever develops anything, in my opinion. So don't get too down on him early if he struggles, and also don't get too bearish on him if he does either, thinking that age is going to magically fix all of his his issues that are there. Okay. All right, that's all I got. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we're coming up on an hour, so I think we can probably wrap that. Um, thanks a lot thanks. for coming out, also, man. Oh, yeah, go for it. One last thing. Uh, just a quick question. Where are Pistons people at on Lewis King? Uh, is, is he? He's the two-way guy yeah, we saw playing the non-Jordan, Summerlin? Non-Jordan yeah, bone two-way guy. Uh, <laughs> not overly impressed. Uh, he, I, look, I and mean, we could just be honest. Most people have not, and I certainly know I haven't, paid a whole lot of attention to him other than when he played in Summer League here. Uh, I don't know a ton about what he did in college. I like I've looked up his college basketball reference and watched a couple of basic highlights. Uh, he certainly was not particularly impressive in summer league, but that's my understanding. And Vince said this when he was on the pod the other day, Koo. But um, you know they weren't really expecting him to necessarily be a knock it out of the park guy right away. Uh, they're kind of hoping that he can maybe. He's a guy that they're kind of hoping they can develop some. So I'm not necessarily super worried about it, but he certainly was not overly impressive in summer league. That is yeah, because like a decent amount of draft type. Uh, he had some projections like early second rounds, even late first, which is, in my opinion, that's pretty crazy as a guy who's really low on Louis, Louis King overall. And I think we saw a lot of the issues with him in summer league with his decision making and game and skills on offense and things. He. he as as you mentioned, and if Pistons fans were maybe overly optimistic, sounds like they aren't, which is good on Louis King. So yeah, I don't. Oh yeah, I, mean, I think the majority of Pistons Twitter would. No, go ahead, Koo. Go ahead, Joe. No, you go ahead, Koo. Joe, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, oh. Well, I, I was saying that since Twitter is, like, I believe, is pretty like immediate. Right. At least I wasn't. Yeah. So. I wouldn't much for him. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to judge a guy just off of, what, four games, but if the Pistons had pulled his two-way contract and given it to someone else, I certainly would not have been overly upset by it. I did not know that. Yeah, so... Yeah. That's all I got. Okay, cool. Well, thanks a, a lot for coming on, Ben. We appreciate that. Get an outsider opinion on some of this um and we're we're glad to know that you like bruce brown too thanks uh, yeah. for not bursting bruce our Brown's bubble there. awesome uh yeah i i figured that uh the majority of people outside of piss and twitter probably like luke Kennard, and you pretty much confirmed that with me yeah Kennard's a kind of a fan favorite amongst like the nba twitter group yeah i figured like that he should be the favorite of everybody, not just him. <laughs> the Pistons, Pistons fans absolutely love Luke. Yeah, they're out. They're out of control, to be honest. No, he's going to be fun to watch this year. I hope so. Hopefully, I hope he's as good as Eli thinks he's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, Ben. Um, once again, you can find him on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Uh, so go follow him. And yeah, so stay beautiful, everybody. And go Pistons.